Hey everyone, welcome to Hello. At Home. Welcome to At Home. I'm I your echo. said that. <laughs> we are Linda and Drew Scott, and this is our show At Home for the third time already in the first 10 seconds. <laughs> this is a show where we chat with artists, experts, leaders, dreamers, and doers on the impact that they're creating in the world starting, you guessed it, at home. <laughs> and we find inspiration in the big and small moments and the successes and failures. I even find inspiration with the little decorative hair things that you put on the wall in the shower, Linda. Oh my gosh. I thought you never noticed those things. No, it's actually gross. It's gross inspiration. It's amazing. Anyway, this is our chance to learn more about our relationships with ourselves, our communities, and the planet. Because we truly believe that any difference we want to make out there in the world starts right where we are at home. This month has been all about love and... Self-care, loving yourself is a very important part of that love we're talking about. Mm-hmm. You got to love yourself first. Mm-hmm. It, what's that saying? I, you know, it's it's ask not what your lover can give to you, but what you how you can love yourself, something like that. Sounds like a very wise woman. <laughs> Whatever it is, it's very wise. <laughs> but no, it's true. I mean, because we should look internally before we look externally. Mm-hmm. All right, what have we done this month to show ourselves some love? I'm eating so healthy. He just like, downed a bag of corn chips. Sh- <laughs> I'm not the kind of guy who looks at a bag of chips and it says, oh, uh, no gluten, or it says organic. I think this is healthy, but I just wanted that bag of chips. It does say organic and gluten-free, it, though. It does. That doesn't make it healthy. <laughs> I know. <laughs> <laughs> We've been doing about, I'd say four to five of our meals a week have been pretty good. Yeah. Yeah, and then a little cheating. Uh, what about you? Quite a bit of cheating. Um, you know what? This month has kind of, you know, slipped away from me, as do all months. I have not been waking up early and writing. I know that makes me feel good, and I still don't do it because I just can't wake up early enough. My pillow is too comfortable. Um, I, I do like that routine we've been trying to get into of getting rid of cell phones earlier at night before going to bed and then trying to get up and do a little stretching in the morning, do a little bit of meditation or stretching. Let's continue more. And we did say at the beginning of the month, we were going to, this, our homework, our main homework was to find Uh, a freaking therapist. We've made some progress. Well, I think we're there. We're getting scheduled. Let's maybe talk about that next week. All right. We'll keep working. We'll keep working on that. Okay, let's get into today's guest, Tara Schuster. Which, by the way, I have to give you a little disclaimer. There is some swearing in this episode because of the title of Tara's book, By Yourself, The Fucking Lilies. Yeah, uh, yeah. so I, I wasn't sure if we were going to say the, the title, but I guess we have to. Like, We can't disrespect the title. That is the title. Here, say the title. And it's amazing. By Yourself, The Beep. <laughs> Oh, you beeped me. Okay, great. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, we're talking to Tara today because again, like we said, it's the month of love, like every month. And Tara is all about self-love. She is a ninja of self-love. And what I really love about Tara's book is that she doesn't hold anything back. She tells her whole story. And I think it really is a way to inspire all of us Mm -hmm. to really look inside. Mm -hmm. She is an author, playwright, Uh, And she used to work as VP of Talent Development at Comedy Central. And she did Lights Out with David Spade, um, Key and Peele, At Midnight, so many other shows. But um, what a lot of people didn't know, you know, on the outside, she was super successful. But on the inside, she said she was a mess. She was chronically anxious, self-medicated. And that was a big part of Tara releasing her book, By Yourself, The Fucking Lilies, because she wanted to open up about her life. It's a hilarious and relatable self-help memoir, and it tells the story of Tara's path to reparenting herself. I mean, her hope is to help readers transform their lives through these simple daily rituals that she discovered for herself. I love it. This is Tara Schuster. Okay, if ADT wasn't professional enough, now ADT installs Google Nest products with their smart home security systems because ADT believes the smarter the home, the safer the security. I mean, what are they going to do next? They're going to start a country singing career. I would listen to a country band named ADT. Also, I like to know what's happening at our front door from virtually anywhere with my Google Nest doorbell. Just saying. Your Google Nest doorbell? I said our. He said my. Everybody check that. Yeah. All right. Well, I like to control my ADT smart devices like my lights, my locks. (laughs) 
my security system <laughs> with Google Nest speakers and displays. And I like to say, hey, Google, to get started. Listen, I said ours. I'm all about ours, not mine. <laughs> Help protect what matters most with all this, plus 24-7 professional monitoring from ADT and a little help from Google. Visit ADT.com to see how ADT can help make your home smarter and safer. Thanks so much for taking the time yeah. to chat with us. Oh my goodness. I'm so excited to be here and I've been loving the podcast. I've been listening and now you've got a super fan in me. Oh, thank oh, you. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. How are you? I'm great. Um, yeah. I just went for a nice long run to really like get in the zone to be here with you. Oh. So I'm feeling good. We love your book and what you do because mm -hmm. you are so open and honest. And that is what I think really a lot of people, if they can take a little bit of something from what you're doing, it'll change the world. It really will. Thank, thank, thank you. I, um, it was weird because the book came out in the pandemic you know, so I thought I was going to be like on a big book tour going across the world. Like it's in a bunch of languages. And then it was very much like, no, you will be at home and you'll never leave except to go running. And <laughs> what I didn't realize though, was that it would come out at exactly the right moment. Like that this was when it was needed. And so it's been this interesting, so those, your words just mean a lot to me. Thank you. Let, let's dive into your history a little bit, starting with your, your home life growing up and and what your influences were and, and what your, your self-love was at that point. Growing up, my self-love was non-existent. It was, <laughs> um, I think from basically as early as I can remember, I kind of hated myself or was scared. Um, I, I grew up in a house where things came to die. Um, the pets, the plants, the uh, orchids that came free with purchase of the house. Um, everything sort of perished uh, because my parents were neglectful. Um, and I, I made it out of there by looking for external validation, particularly from school. Like I thought like, if I can just get to a good college, if I can just get you know, a good entry-level job. It, it was always external validation. That's how I'm going to make it through, um, which was really helpful because it actually got me out of a neglected childhood. Um, but by the time I was 25, I was a mess wreck disaster of a person. I lived in a permanent headache. I was constantly anxious. At a good day at work, I would openly weep on the subway instead of in my cubicle, you know, like make it to the one to break down. And I might've kept going that way until I hit rock bottom and kind of forced me to reevaluate my life. That point for Tara came the day after her 25th birthday party. And it was a big wake up call accompanied by a splitting headache and a side of an unfinished grilled cheese from the night before. So she wakes up to see that her therapist had left several voicemails concerned for her safety and her well-being and urging her to check into a hospital. It turns out that she had drunk dialed her therapist. Oh my gosh. And then when she heard how genuinely concerned her therapist was for her, she realized it was time to start caring for herself. And that's when she began her journey to reparent herself. You know, even after writing the book and talking to so many readers, I've even had to re-examine my childhood again, which has been really interesting. And I, I now really recognize I felt unsafe. Mm. The whole time it was marked by this feeling that I might be hurt. And now sort of some of the work is not dismissing that inner feeling of I am not safe mm. and, and bringing safety to myself as an adult. When was there a point in your childhood that you realized that you were not safe? I mean, looking back now, yeah, but like when did, as a child, when did you realize you weren't getting the nurturing that you needed from your parents? Pretty immediately. Mm. I knew something was wrong I, I, I have all these very vivid memories of being alone in my room and feeling so scared that robbers were going to come or kidnappers were going to come or coyotes were going to eat me. Just this like list of here's how I'm going to die. And, and because I went through that every night and I would, um, I had a television in my room from 
my earliest memories. I would just like drown out. Um, I would, I would like put it on blast. So the robbers would know that I was with people who cared about me. So they would, they wouldn't kidnap me because they'd hear these adult voices mm. and the kind of the repetition of that, the nightly chronic, I am scared. I don't really have any memories of feeling safe. And when you say that, though, like um, as a child, having that level of intense, I mean, I guess, fear. imagination and fear that, you know, these robbers are going to come for you or coyotes are going to come for you. What what was it that took it to that extreme, though? Was it just that you didn't have that parental figure that was uh, able to, you know, sort of talk you down from, from those sort of thoughts? Yeah, I, I think it was a combination. Um, I, I actually, I went to Zion National Park um, a few months ago in, in the pandemic. And I was sitting next to a table, an outdoor socially distanced table of a family eating dinner. And I was kind of um, eavesdropping. And the dad said to the kids, tomorrow we're going to go on a hike. It's going to seem scary, but you're safe. Me and mom are here. It's get, you're safe. You're protected. Yeah. We've got you. And even in that moment, I realized nobody nobody ever told me I was safe. Um, in fact, there were dangerous situations that I was put in in that house and there just was no supervision. So even, you know, as I grew older and I thought, well, I didn't have it that bad. I'm like, it's kind of a miracle I didn't get hurt, you know? And, and part of the work I'm doing now is just validating stop stopping myself from dissing and dismissing what was real because I often I often thought and I often think well I shouldn't I shouldn't feel like this I didn't have it that bad I wasn't like chained to the radiator in a basement mm -hmm. you know but it doesn't need to be the worst case scenario to be deeply wounding I'm so glad that you bring that up throughout your entire book, the tendency to compare ourselves to other people's situations and lessen our own traumas and experiences because it is very common for us to feel guilt and shame for not being happy with you know this house we have, this, these great jobs we have. But you do remind us that it's okay to not be okay and that it's possible to be grateful for what we have and at the same time acknowledge that we all have some areas of pain and hurt in our lives. I really hope so. You know, one of my favorite authors is Lori Gottlieb. Have you read her book? Um, mm -hmm. Maybe you should talk to someone. It's a great book. And she, um, she's a therapist. And the term she uses is there is no hierarchy of pain. It just doesn't exist. And, and the thing I try to talk about in my book is that you don't do anybody any good by saying, I shouldn't feel this way. Like those starving kids don't get food because you're just suppressing all of the things you need to right. work through. So it, it's not kind to yourself. It's not kind to the world. And that which you do not deal with deals with you. Mm -hmm. I, I know that emphatically now, even if you think I shouldn't feel this way, it doesn't really matter. If you do, it's dealing with you. When in your life did you realize you needed to talk to someone? The whole time, mm -hmm. <laughs> the whole time I, <laughs> I knew something was wrong. I knew I needed help. I desperately wanted a therapist. Um, my parents, they, they were always um, skirting bills we were all, I was always like going to a different doctor because they didn't want to pay a bill at another doctor. So even, even though they recognized I probably did need therapy based on my school, basically was always like, Tara Schuster, she needs to come to the front office. She's got issues, you know? They, mm -hmm. they t told my parents there's something wrong. Um, but there just weren't enough resources. There wasn't enough money. Um, to send me to therapy. So I would go for like three months and then it'd be over. And it wasn't until I was an adult and I had my first real person job at Comedy Central that I could pay for therapy and blessedly found the only therapist on the Isle of Manhattan willing to take my insurance. Like, mm -hmm. thank God. <laughs> mm -hmm. I have been in therapy since the moment I could afford it and I'm never letting it go. Um, because at a minimum, it's... It's just someone objective who's outside of you who you can complain to. That's cool because I don't want to complain to my best friends all the time. They, they get enough mm -hmm. from me. <laughs> um, and so I still am in therapy. 
I've also looked to other things. You know, I'm really involved in my synagogue, um, basically community. I felt so alone for so much of my life that I realized the antidote to that kind of depression and feeling isolated is reaching out to community and involving my, myself in things that I think match my values or will expand me in some way. So even you know, as much as I hated meditating, I'm now a pretty hardcore meditator and I found a group that I can meditate mm. with over Zoom. It's usually I find a group or, or something like that, a community, um, to continue to develop these tools um, because it's a process. Like, I'm not done. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I have this book, and it's great, but I think what I'm now working on is some of the more, not to get completely woo-woo, but some of the soul work. Like, this book gives you all the rituals to build a stable life. And once you have that stable life, I think the next step is how do you build that stability internally? How, mm-hmm. how do you make sure it's it's really like in your guts? Yeah, yeah. What, yeah. what book is that? <laughs> um, well, I'm writing a book right now that will answer that, these questions. Um, so I'm pretty excited. It sounded to me almost like growing up, it was almost like your parents were landlords. They, they put a roof over your head. Maybe yeah. it was a bed and breakfast because maybe there was food in the kitchen, uh, but they weren't giving you that nurturing. They weren't giving you that level of parenting that was so important for your developmental um, process. And especially when you're at a very um, uh, sort of susceptible age, um, this uh, developmental age. So did, did you find that anywhere else? Did you, ha- did you end up trying to spend more time at friends' houses because you saw their parents or teachers at school? Oh, yes. So I was teacher's pet. I was like, I remember Miss Hunt, the English teacher. I tried to have lunch with her every single day, like <laughs> begging her, like, please, please, can I have lunch with you? And she's like, oh gosh, <laughs> this kid again. But literally, like I was that annoying clingy kid who would declare my love for any adult. Like camp counselor, is that you? Are you, uh, were, were you when you were little? Linda will walk past somebody and talk to them for one minute that she's never met before. And when she, we're done, she'll be like, bye, I love you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm right there with you. I, to this day, I feel like because I was so disconnected as a kid, I now really seek connection. And it's actually become my superpower because I genuinely love connecting with people. Mm. Um, but yeah, when, when I was a kid, I was definitely, I, I didn't have any mentor or parent who stepped in. And and I really want to say that for everybody because I think people get bummed out thinking, I need a mentor and I just can't find one. Or I wish somebody's parents would take better care of me. I didn't have that. You know, I had like a constellation of people who I could maybe talk to, but I had books. Mm -hmm. Books, you know, the books of David Sedaris, particularly growing up, just seeing that somebody else had a weird life Mm-hmm. I felt like less alone immediately. I think that that's a, a great thing to say too, because I feel even even with us, if we have our you know friends or, or families, kids, there's a certain line too where you know it's, it, you can be close with friends and families, kids, but you don't want to act like you're trying to step on the parents' toes and you're trying right. to be that parental figure. So I guess I can see that from both sides too, where there might be other adults that want to to give you more guidance, but they know that that's not really their role. Yeah, it's it's tricky because I really yearned for that. I was kind of like, why won't these parents just take me in? You know, there are adults around me. Why won't they take me in? And over time, what I've realized and, you know, what the book is about is I have to be my own parent. At some point, we all have to do the work of reparenting ourselves, even if we had parents who nurtured us and loved us and there was never a cloud that blew past our home. As we get older, we have new needs and we have new ways we need to be nurtured. So it's not even like a sad thing to be your own parent. It's actually a gift you can give yourself. And I think maybe that's why the book is resonating with people because it's really not about... I I go into my neglected childhood as sort of like an extreme you know, to show you, like, there are lots of shades of this. Um, and, it, and it's not just for those who've been through a traumatic experience. 
Self-love is not reserved for only when you're down in the dumps or for those who had a really crappy childhood. We could all love ourselves a little more. And it looks different for everyone. How do you define self-love and self-care? Self-care and self-love for me is authentically checking in with what you need to nurture yourself. And it means being honest, really honest about where you are and and how you can heal. Um, you know, I think self-care has gotten this sort of like wrap of buy these masks and go to Tulum and like a trip around the world. And like, Mm. those things are dope as hell. Like I'm not turning down a trip to Tulum. Like if anyone (laughs) wants to send me like, yes, please. But it's not self-care, you know, buying yourself the lilies, which is the title of the book for me, where that comes from is I was learning how to feed myself because that wasn't something that I was taught. And I think that's actually true of a lot of people were like, mm. what is vegetables? What is quinoa? And, and which ones, what should I be eating? You know, those are definitely questions that, um, mm-hmm. that I still have. Mm. Um, but I would go to Trader Joe's in an attempt to try to learn these things. And I would see these lilies and lilies are my favorite flower because they're, elegant and they like when they burst open they burst open with a smell and they had them at my favorite restaurant growing up and I've always loved lilies so I'd see the lilies and they're like weird bucket of water situation mm-hmm. and I'd like really really want them but I'd be like ah, they're seven dollars I-, I can't afford seven dollars if I spend seven dollars now I'm gonna go into economic economic ruin later on and I would really like stress about these $7 lilies. Mm. And this went on for years until one day in this self-care journey, I realized I am worth $7 lilies. Like at a bare minimum, I can buy myself the lilies. And, you know, for me, it's those daily habits where you show yourself, I am worthy. I love me. Mm -hmm. That is how we build self-love. So the, the, the big umbrella of self-love for me is an honest accounting of where you are and what needs healing. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then the action of self-love is showing up for yourself in small daily ways. So I actually, on my way home from work just, what, two days ago, I got Linda the Lilies. Yeah, because we've been reading the book and I was like, okay, I am going to get myself the Lilies. She said it like 50 times. And so and then I just kept forgetting. Yeah, and then, so I did. and But then I realized that Lilies are my nemesis because I handed over to Linda and then I realized that the pollen or that like the orangey stuff came off of my sweater and it <laughs> stained, stained my sweater. Damn Lilies. I probably should have put a chapter in about Lily maintenance. Because it's very important. My apologies. What I should have told you was the best way to get the pollen out. First off, you got to be ruthless about cutting out the pollen. As soon as it bursts, you got to cut that out. Then when it gets on your clothes or on anything else, like let's say there was, you missed one, tape. You use a piece of tape (gasps) to lift it off. You don't rub and you don't use water. It's just a piece of tape. That is so smart. So... I figured that something like that would happen. I tried to do like a blow, blow it off thing. Spreading around, but anyway, that'll be your next book. That'll be yeah. called uh, Gardening with Tara. Yeah. Gardening exactly. with Tara. Exactly. We really enjoy the way that you structured your book. It literally guides us through that natural flow, starting internally and then moving outward. So our mind and then how our thoughts can physically manifest in our bodies and then focusing on our outward relationships. I really love that. Mm -hmm. We love that these rituals were so accessible and realistic. I really wanted to be extremely practical, you know, and even going further back, I did not set out to write um, a self-care book. I set out to save my life. That's where the book comes from is I knew that I was never going to have parents. I had to be my own parent, but how? So I went on this mission just to read every memoir of every adult I ever admired to creepily watch my friends' parents in their kitchens and like note like lentils and salmon seem to be a thing. (laughs) Like nobody yelled at anybody. It was not a tense dinner. Like I'm, you know, I'm writing all these things in my Google doc and trying little things on. So like I tried meditation, 
didn't work at all. Felt mm. horrible every time I did it. Only thought about uh, what I was going to eat for lunch. Mm. Noted noted that, but realized, but if I do a walking meditation, that actually I can pay more attention to. And over the course of five years, I ended up with this 600-page Google Doc, and I felt like a different person, a mm. person who was stable, which like stable was my goal. Like that was it. I just didn't want to be like yo-yo of emotions, Mm -hmm. but I was stable. I was content. I was grateful. And that's when I was like, oh, I have something to help. I I can help because I have all these practical ways because I did it. And what never helped me was somebody saying, you should be more joyful. Mm-hmm. You you really should. You should be more grateful. Like, how do you deal? Okay, cool, dude. But like, how do you actually do that? So yeah, yeah. that's what I hope the book does. It's it's that how to from your experience. Yeah, it, yeah. yeah. It's a DIY. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Renovating your life. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Exactly, exactly. How would you describe the changes you've noticed in yourself as a result of all of these daily rituals and your self love journey? I am a completely different person. Or, you know, I think the actual better way to say this is I am the most me I've ever been. Mm. I I am the most, I don't want to be the best. I don't want to be better. My goal is simply to be exactly who I am. And I feel so much more tapped into that through this process of reparenting. Because now when a crisis comes up, things still go wrong in my life, obviously. But I know how to handle it for me. I know how to approach it with some amount of wisdom and some amount of perspective so that it doesn't overwhelm me. I, mm. These days, I very rarely feel overwhelmed. Like I mm. can't handle what life has thrown at me. Um, there are definitely moments, but even my perspective of how to deal is very different. So it radically changed how, how I show up in the world And something that drew that you said a little earlier about like not trying to fix, not blaming everything and trying to fix everybody. I've realized so intensely that, you know, I worked at Comedy Central for a decade and and we're always doing um, team building and who are we going to hire, that kind of thing. And, And it's always external. Like, how do we get this team to be fully optimized and the best? But we never look at, well, how am I showing up as a team member? Mm. I am the first part of everything of, of all of these teams. So if I take care of me and if I'm showing up as the person I actually want to be, mm-hmm. I can be a really effective team member and build something great. And I, and I think we often look external, like mm-hmm. I need to fix her. I get things from readers all the time that are like, how do I deal with my boyfriend? He has 30 problems how do I fix him? And I'm like, I love you, yeah. but let's look inside. Let's, yeah. I, I think, I think if you're dating somebody with 30 problems and all this drama and, 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 cause it's always and, and, and maybe we start with you. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, what you see a lot of times is a manifestation of what you are. Exactly. When you look in a family, you know, your team typically is your family. Maybe the parents are the coaches, your teammates are your siblings. Um, You didn't have that coach dynamic. So it's almost like you and your sister were a team of your own. However, you talk about in your book how you didn't have that team dynamic with your sister and you weren't there, even though you didn't have the parenting you wanted, you weren't there to support each other. Can you talk a little bit about that and then how your relationship has evolved? Yeah, I'm so glad um, that you asked about this because aside from feeling the most myself, the the other biggest benefit of this reparenting was reconstructing my relationship with my sister. So my sister is five years younger than me. And when my parents, um, they went through this misery Vietnam-like divorce where it was like nobody was sure why they were in the war or what victory would mean, but we're just going to soldier on. Mm. And they kind of decided, although decided I think is too powerful of a word, they let 
my sister and I live in different houses. They, they didn't consider it. They just said it would be easier if my little sister lives with my mom and I live with my dad. So, you know, she should have been the person who understood what I was going through, that I understood what she was going through and that we could come together. But we were separated when she was about five or six and I was 12. And then we were separate forever. And that is the thing that I still have the stickiest thing for me to forgive with my parents is Mm. ripping siblings apart. And it's a special kind of cruelty, I think, uh, to do that to kids. And I was a jerk to her. I like sucked. I had no guidance or role model of like kindness. So how was I going to be kind to her? And as I got older and was becoming more kind towards myself and going through this reparenting process, I realized I need to be able to give this kindness to my sister. And I, I didn't know what I was doing. So I just kept reaching out. I just kept saying, Hey, you know, I screwed up. I wasn't the best older sister. I deeply love you. Will you let me back in? And I was just earnest about the whole thing. I didn't care if, if I was wrong. In fact, I thought I was wrong most of the time. Um, I, I, there was no fronting of any kind. And over time, we've developed a language of how we can communicate and how we talk through problems. And in the pandemic, actually, the most beautiful thing has happened, which is we do a Zoom movie night every week with her fiance. And we're spending, she lives in Nashville. She's in medical school. Um, We're spending more time than we've ever spent Mm. in our lives together. So, you know, my, my advice to anybody who has had a difficult situation, there's somebody they want to bring back in their life, real honesty, showing up and asking her and also asking her, what do you need? I just asked her questions. What do you need? How can I be better? How can I show up? And then when she gave me an answer, like, for the love of God, please give, stop giving me unsolicited advice. I really like had to think before every conversation with her, resist, resist giving yeah. her unsolicited mm-hmm. advice. Show up as the sister you want to be now instead of beating yourself up about how you were then. It was really encouraging to hear that Tara was able to rebuild her relationship with her sister. Because when we're older, it can be so hard to revisit relationships that have messy pasts. After the break, Tara talks about her relationship with her parents today and how they responded to her book. ADT now professionally installs Google Nest products with their smart home security systems because ADT believes the smarter the home, the safer the security. Help protect what matters most with 24-7 professional monitoring from ADT and a little help from Google. You said that very professionally. I try. (laughs) Visit ADT.com to see how ADT can help you make your home smarter and safer. I love hearing that you were able to rekindle that relationship with your sister. Um, what I was curious about, though, um, are it's the relationship you have with your parents. Mm. After they've potentially read the book um, and their reaction and your relationship now, how has that grown or ha- are there still roadblocks? Yeah, it's a real mixed bag. The Disney version of this book is everything's great. Like I fixed it all. Yay. Um, the real version is I don't speak to my mom. I haven't talked to her in something like 10 years. I got to a point where I realized she is um, mentally unwell and unable to protect me. Like she, she does not have it in her to think of me as her daughter, to think of me as someone worthy of protection. And so for that reason, I only do myself a violence Mm. by continuing to be in contact with her. I forgive her. I don't think, I, I for a long time thought, I never felt unconditional love. My, my core wound is nobody ever unconditionally loved me because of how my parents loved me. But now I realize she did unconditionally love me. She just doesn't have the capacity to do it in a way that is healthy. Mm. So I honor that she loves me in the way that she can. And I also honor that 
that version of love is not healthy for me. I think that that's a really important thing that you're saying there too that will that resonates with me, but I'm sure a lot of people is that to continue to try and force a relationship to happen or grow that it's just not able to, you're not going to be changing the other person. And if they're not able to change or willing to change, then you're just creating anxiety and you're creating that negative uh, interaction for yourself. It's time to step away. And you're also giving the person no reason to change. Mm. Because if you'll just be there and you'll just keep trying and there's no consequence that way, why would they change? Yeah. You're enabling it in a sense. Yeah. Exactly. So with my mom, I've, I've really had to um, draw a really strict boundary. Mm. With my dad, I gave my sister and my dad a copy of the book a year before it came out um, because I love them. And if there was anything in the book that made them uncomfortable, I was really open to changing it. I had not, like, I didn't feel like, this is my revenge. Like I'm going to write something mean. I'm like, if kindness is one of my principles, what would be the kindest way to do this? And so they both read the book and, you know, with my dad, it was really healing. Um, because for the first time ever, he validated that this was my experience. Mm. He, he said in a lot of cases, he, he didn't realize I was there as a child. Mm. He didn't realize I was, awake or conscious for, for these things that were happening. Mm. And so it was the first time that he ever said this did happen. Yes. Like particularly, um, you know, social services was always being called and I would think, am I making this stuff up? Like I have all these memories of social services interrogating me, but like, is that really possible? Were things that bad? Mm. And so I went to my dad and I said, this is the first time we've ever talked about this. Mm. Dad, were social services always questioning me at, at school? And, and he said, no, I don't know about that. And I was like, oh, so I'm crazy. And he's like, no, no, they were at the house. They were always coming to the house to look through the refrigerator and, you know, do an exp- inspection. And I was like, oh, well, he, yeah, he wouldn't remember the school part, right. but he definitely remembers the house part. Mm. And so it was really validating. Um, And we are, I'm honestly currently not talking to my dad either because I'm working through some other issues and I'm in my process. And in -hmm. in my process, my number one priority is to protect myself. And how did it feel writing the book? Because I, I think it's such a, it's such a brave, difficult thing to do to write about traumas because you are in a sense experienced re-experiencing it. Yeah. How did that feel to put it all on paper? That was really hard. That was the hardest part of the whole thing because what I'm trying to give you in the book is a picture. Like I didn't want to, self-help books are great. You know, I definitely have used them. I wanted to write a book that had some literary chops to it, that it was like, you're in this scene with me. I wanted you to be able to feel it and be there with me, which meant I had to really embody it. And it was hard. It was really hard to go back to some of the worst moments of my life and sit there writing it. And then like my editor would have a note about like my word choice. And then we go back and forth. And then for a year, I'm like going over this dead deer story. Like, you know, it was weird. Um, but it all ultimately telling the truth feels so good. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just being like, this is who I am. And, and I, I worried, are people going to judge me, not want to hire me again? Because at the time I was an executive, you know, yeah. what are people going to think? Then I realized mm-hmm. oh, if people judge me over this, I don't want to work with those people. And I'm so glad that you put that, in your book, because I think that is so true. How many times, we've all done it to some degree. How many times do we do something that we don't feel great about or we are afraid to communicate because we're afraid of how we'll be judged? And I just think that that's sad that we all accept that. Yeah, and then you think like, well, 
I would never judge my friend or someone I love, no matter what. So it's like, why can't we give ourselves that break? Yeah, it's exactly. Like the hardest thing. Mm-hmm. I, I write, you know, treat yourself at, at least as well as you would treat a guest mm-hmm. or, or even a stranger. Yeah. Do you, do you judge all the strangers you meet? No, not no. typically. Yeah, but that, that's the thing too. I mean, if you just step back and look at anything, you know, when you learn to drive a car, it's scary at first because you're just learning how to do it. But the more you do it and the more you do it, the same way, the more you talk about how you're actually feeling, the more you expose that to yourself and, and be honest with yourself, the easier it gets. And and I think that that's, such, it's just such a great reminder, your story of, of how um, getting in that process worked for you. You're, I, w- I want you to talk a bit though about your frenemy. Mm. <laughs> and so that's one of the things that I find, you know, even myself, you know, from time, yeah, <laughs> Linda and everybody has one, but how do you keep your frenemy at bay and what are some of those habits, even, you know, whether it's communicating with other people or whether it's your internal thoughts, when you catch yourself doing something negative or thinking something negative or your frenemy is piping up in the wrong way, how do you kind of check that and move uh, to a new thought process? It's a great question, and I think it plagues literally everyone. Like Beyonce must have a frenemy within. <laughs> like I don't, I don't think there's. I feel like she's figured out how to deal with the frenemy within. Um, but the way I deal with it, and it's it's very different than how I used to, because in my brain, from like born to maybe even thirty, because I was working on it. I just had this like diss track in my head. Nothing I did was good enough. Nothing was perfect. Everything I did was a problem to fix. And what I've, what I did um, when I was writing the book and what I do now is in the first, the very first step is I stop resisting that front of me because resisting it makes me suffer. So instead of dismissing that it's happening, I say, Oh, hello, my frenemy within. Mm-hmm. You have come uninvited to my home yet again. Cool, 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 cool. Hello. But I really take a moment to pause and simply notice. Okay, you're here. Time to deal. So first, I let the frenemy within just be there. Then I write down specifically, what does she think about me? So... You're never going to find love. You are a bad writer. I'm just going through like my like top hits. <laughs> um, uh, you are not successful enough. You are not fit. Um, whatever it is that day that she is wants to be mean to me about, I write it down. Those are my beliefs. Then on the next page, so that's on one page, like the page facing it, I write the truth. I am a good writer. I'm a writer at all. That's a blessing. I have so much love in my life already. It doesn't make sense that I wouldn't have romantic love. Like that doesn't even make any logical sense. Mm -hmm. I am so fit. I like love my body. What are you even talking about? Like you're on some old stuff. I'm on the Mm -hmm. new stuff. Because there is such a difference between a belief and the truth. And you do not need to believe your beliefs. You just absolutely don't. And with practice, you can move away from believing your beliefs. So that's sort of the process I go through. Notice, write it down, write the Mm -hmm. truth. And then I close it out with a nourishing action. So whether that's a bath, a walk in the sun, something to get it in my muscle memory that I just Mm -hmm. did that whole process. Mm -hmm. And I think people sometimes think, well, I don't have time. I don't have time to do that. That's so much work. I promise you, you have time. I promise you it's easier than feeling miserable about yourself. Like this is the easy way out. Feeling bad about yourself and letting your friend of me within rule your life. You don't have time for that. No. And I think especially if I have uh, something nourishing at the end, like Linda gives me a back rub. Self-love, Drew. Suddenly I have the time for this. Uh, Anyway, I find that there are a lot of things in life that people say, I don't have the time for this. I don't have the time for that. I mean, like, like working out is another thing too. I don't have the time to work out, but 
you you have the time. It's just how you stack your time or what you feel is your priori- priority. And something like this, you're right, 100%, this is a priority. Yeah, it's sort of like, well, what do you have the time for? Like, this is scrolling your life. Scrolling social media. Yeah, scrolling social media, stressing about some work email. You know, I, I think in our culture, busy People confuse busy with important. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm so busy. I'm so overwhelmed. Oh, I'm, I'm really an important person. No, if you're super busy and overwhelmed, you're also probably super distracted. You're probably yeah. not present. You know, and it's the most cliche thing I can say, but like this is our life. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know any important <laughs> people that say I'm so important. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, from your years, uh, how, you said you worked a decade with Comedy Central. I, yeah, and when I said that, I was like, oh my God, I did? <laughs> and it's true. I re- It's like 11 years that I worked there. And, and how long How long was it you specifically worked with Jon Stewart? That was an internship at the very beginning. And I actually just found my um, internship card and old pair of jeans. I'm, I'm moving and I look such, I'm just like, oh, this poor girl. Like, oh no. Um, like a ill-suited bob haircut, mm. just like so hungover. Just like my whole face bloated, <laughs> oh. possibly high. The picture is, I'm, I'm going to have to text it to you. because Yes, it's, yeah. please. I was going to say, it sounds adorable until you got to the bloated and high part. But, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, so, I mean, I, I love Jon Stewart. I just love how he, I mean, again, this is external. I don't know him personally, but um, he just, to me, seems like somebody who, he says what he thinks and mm. he's very interested in understanding and learning more. And I was reading that you said, that, that he said to you, there are no big big breaks, uh, but just a series of small ones. Do you find that that's something that might have stuck with you in certain ways when you think of self-love and, and how you've continued to grow? Yes, absolutely. Um, John Stewart, who I write about in the book, I, I, I'm not friends with him. Like, I want to be really clear. Like, I don't think he would recognize me at all. I was a lowly intern but I really, I idolized him because just like you said, he's that perfect combination of he says what he thinks, but he's also curious. Mm. He's okay being wrong. He, he can, his mind can be changed. Um, and I, I adore that about him. And and the internship, he basically said, we're all these interns and everybody's like trying to out funny one another in a misguided attempt to get mm-hmm. discovered, you know, like, well, if I, if I make yeah. these jokes in front of the executive producer, like maybe they'll put me on the show. It's like, nah, dude, <laughs> nobody's putting works. you on the show. <laughs> um, you're just annoying. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we had this intern lunch and where we were, able to ask John anything we wanted and I'll never forget it one of the of these kind of like um always doing bits to get discovered people asked what was your first big break and John like immediately like a hawk was like there are no big breaks just a series of small breaks and your job is to work the hardest and the best you can and it was like a lightning bolt to my heart it was like ah okay baby steps, little things, maximizing what I can do instead of focusing on, oh, I'm not at the goal yet. I'm not at this at the big picture yet. And so in that internship, I was like, okay, I got to find my small little break. Where can I contribute? Where can I add value? And I saw the sad, not tended to coffee machine. And I was like, aha, my small break. <laughs> And I worked my butt off making sure that thing had water, was working, had capsules by it because that's where John made his own coffee before the shows. And I thought, if okay, I'm not a correspondent, I'm not a writer, but I can make sure this man has his coffee every single night. Mm-hmm. And that little decision to be the best at the worst you know, maximize a job that nobody else wanted. Like nobody was fighting me to clean this coffee machine. <laughs> um, that decision actually did get the attention of the executive producers. And they got me my first job at Comedy Central, mm. which my entire career 
directly sprung from. But I, I do think that that initial experience of seeing someone so successful not worry about the big breaks, mm-hmm. but point out that you're building and take advantage of every little opportunity, that that stuck with me. That's how I approach self-care. That's how I approach writing. I, I love it when people take the time, doesn't matter how successful somebody may appear or be, I love it when they take the time to reflect back on what their journey was because it really can be an eye opener. Absolutely. And you know, just to build on that, I think that's a lot about what my book is about and my life actually is I was dealt an unfun, at a minimum unfun uh, deck of cards, right? My hand sucked. I could have continued to be this mess wreck disaster of a person self-medicating with weed, alcohol, but I chose to take responsibility for my life. At first, that seemed really scary and like I would never be able to do it. But by breaking it into small things, it became empowering to take care of myself. Instead of saying, this thing was done to me and it sucks. This thing happened. I can't change that. I can change now. I I can take responsibility. And that's what I hope people take away is that it's actually more joyful to take responsibility for your life and to learn how to take care of yourself. It's a lot easier. It's a lot more fun than the alternative. And I know because I lived on both extremes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. How does it feel now that, you know, the book has resonated with so many people around the world? It's been really cool. I, um, to, to, at first I was a little afraid, honestly, um, because I would get these DMs um, of people, you know, pouring their hearts out about how the book had affected them and sharing their own stories. And I would think, am I anybody to say anything to anybody? Like what? And I was scared that I wouldn't live up to something. And as I read these messages, I just realized, you know, I wrote this book to make other people feel less alone. What I did not anticipate is that they, in reading the book, would make me feel less alone. Oh, wow. And and realize we're all navigating this. We're all trying to figure out how do I I live a life? How, How do I live a life for me that isn't how somebody else told me to do it? And it's really been a beautiful, joyful experience to be able to learn from readers, from mm. from their own experiences, to share stories. And I feel like we're building this little community of honesty, which I think the world needs in a large dose right now, like a, a real honest look in the mirror, vulnerability, being able to say this is actually where I'm at right now mm. and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna front about it. And kindness, both to ourselves and to the people around us. And if that's what I can do, is like help add those three ingredients to to our world. Oh my God! (laughs) Cool. I think that's yeah. I mean, that's a huge, huge thing. And to see that you've built this community, so many people globally are reaching out to you to let you know how you're affecting them in such a great way is amazing. I, I always think, you know, like my dad used to always say, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. Or or when I'm talking to some people, they're like, well, this is just the way I've always been. So that's it. There's nothing I can do. How What you have written about is showing people that that's not true. You can absolutely change if you're true and honest to yourself. And so how would you build on that? Oh, preach, preach. Like, yes, you can change basically everything about your life. I mean, I will, I will boldly say you can change so much about your life and how you approach your life. The key is you actually have to want to. Mm-hmm. I think the, the thing is a lot of people don't want to because they have become comfortable with truly uncomfortable things. Mm-hmm. They, you know, when I hear people say, well, I was just, I am depressed. I'm just a depressed person. I'm just an anxious person. I understand what they're saying, but I don't think we're ever just any one thing. Mm. And there's always some way to make a situation a little more tolerable at a minimum, Mm. like to make your life a little, I'm hesitating from using the word better 
maybe the word is more stable, more content, more what you want it to be. Mm -hmm. I go with that, more what you want your life to be. And I, I think one of the first things is just asking yourself, do I actually want to change? And if so, what? Like what in my life actually, because over time we see like waking up late and always being hungover doesn't feel good. Like what are the sticky parts that just don't feel good that, that you know don't feel right? My relationship with my mom, there's, there's something wrong there. And instead of dismissing it as, well, that's just the way it is. That's just yeah. who I am getting curious about it. Why is it like that? What would I like it to be like? What could I do today that is more in the um, direction of what I want it to be? It's almost like teasing. It's it's teasing yourself with this, you know, almost a, a utopia of senses of what you could have. I think maybe a lot of people don't think about what ultimately this one little change could do in so many other aspects of their life. Yeah, a utopia with y, spelled Y-O-U-topia. Yeah, there you utopia. go, a utopia. <laughs> she's, she's got, that's it, trademark that. Yeah, uh, it's, that, it's that combination of the vision of what your life could be. I think we need hope. We need to hope and open our eyes and dream a little about how things could be paired with the practical of, okay, what's like the one step I could take today? You know, if it's not, if the hope is that I'll fix my relationship with my mom, maybe the first thing I do today is just give myself a cup of tea that I wish my mom would have given me. Okay, we have one last thing that we want to do. This is a speed round and we call it Feels Like Home. Yes. What meal makes you feel at home and who cooked it? Ooh, um, locks and bagels always makes me feel at home because my dad would give us locks and bagels on Sundays. Oh. Nice. What's your uniform at home? Oh God, in the pandemic, it is cute sweatpants with some kind of top that looks professional, but like I am wearing the cute sweatpants underneath. Nice. The Zoom yeah. uniform. The Zoom uniform, Zoom yeah. Uniform. Yeah, Zoom uniform, yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, that's great. That That's actually one of the best things about being uh, in this pandemic at home is that I don't have to go to meetings fully decked out or fly to meetings. I can just stay at home oh gosh, in yeah. my joggies with yep. a professional shirt. <laughs> I agree. What smell reminds you of home? Oh, we know the huh. lilies, but... Yeah. I guess I'm going to have to go with lilies because the, um, you're from LA, so, or you, you live in LA, so you know the restaurant Mr. Chow's. Mm -hmm. When I was a kid, that was like the ultimate fancy place that we would go if there was a celebration. And they have those big lilies. Mm. And, and so that smell became associated with me with things are good. This is a good mm. moment. Mm. So lilies... What song reminds you of home? Oh, what? This is a, this one's tough. What song reminds me of home? Harry Nielsen, who was one of um, he was like friends with the Beatles, made this album called The Point, which was it's like a kids album, but it's also like really a good adult music. Hmm. And that was one of the most pleasant things from my relationship with my dad is we would listen to that in the car. So sometimes if I want a little soothing, I'll listen to that album. Hmm. I'll have to listen. So how do you feel the moment you're home? I feel like I can um, let go, like relief. Like I feel relief being home. And what makes you feel most at home? Hmm. Being in a hot, hot bathtub, like sudsy hot water. I even, I keep the water running and then it just like goes on my toes. Uh. <laughs> that to me is like the most at home, that like warmth and the, I love baths, oh, as you know. That. <laughs> yeah. You know, we, we've had a few bubble baths in our time, you know. Yeah, like uh -huh. that. I'm, I'm willing to admit. Yeah. <laughs> I think that this is great. We had an awesome chat with Tara and now Linda has a new best friend. I I really love her. She's amazing. She's just such great energy. And, and she does make me want to love myself more. Yes. And what are our lilies? 
Our lilies, let's see. Hmm. My form of lily would be a, I was going to say bath, but. Mm. I was going to say for me, is it, is it like a Scottish mince pie or something like that? <laughs> <laughs> or shortbread cookies for you? Ooh, yes. No, but like what's, what's a ritual that makes you feel really good? I love working out. So I think if mm-hmm. I get in the ritual of actually doing it, stretching a little bit of, of that mindfulness and then doing a little weightlifting would be perfect for me. Mm. That's yeah, Lily's. and facials. You like facials and I do massages. Love facials. I love a mani-pedi facial. I gave you a facial for Valentine's Day and, then- and you passed out. I did pass out. It was amazing. <laughs> um, for me, you know what? I like to like curl up in bed and eat in bed. I know that sounds like a mess, but I like to eat in bed and watch really good shows and movies and cartoons. <laughs> oh, that sounds great. I feel everyone out there needs to give themselves a little self-love. That's a little redundant. That's a little redundant, but but you know what? I I get you. You're reinforcing that. You got me. We need to love ourselves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, we do want to say my my shoulders. <laughs> She's doing some shoulder shimmy right now, <laughs> and we also want to send our love to our homies, Brandon Angelino, Annalie Bell, Hannah Fan, Courtney Awanis, West Friend, Chris Cobain, Nicole Schachter, and Jessica Bryant Harvey. Our theme music for At Home is by Victoria Shaw and Chad Carlson. Feels like home. And music is composed by Rick Russo. Thank you so much for listening. If you guys have a few seconds, please don't forget to subscribe and rate. Also, leave a comment or connect with us on social at at home. We always want to hear from you. Yeah. Thank you so much. Bye, everyone. Bye, Linda. Love you. Love you. Shimmy, shimmy, I'm, shake, shake. I'm still here, but love you. Love you. <laughs> there it feels like home.